Take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. And in just a moment, we'll start reading in verse 1. Isaiah 49, verse 1. When I was growing up, my mother uh, had to start a business. She was the welcome wagon hostess in Dyersburg. She had a lot of personality and she loved that. But uh, my brother wanted to go to school at what is called, that was back then, Southwestern at Memphis. And you say, where is that? It's Rhodes College and it's very expensive. (laughs) And uh, so we didn't have enough money to send him to that school. And so my mom was uh, downtown Dyersburg one day and the president of the bank came up and said, Dorothy, you ought to start a janitorial business and uh, I'll give you the bank to uh, not, he wouldn't give him the money in the bank, just he'd give him the bank to clean. And he said, I'll help you and I know you're a hard worker and I, I would like to see you do this. And so she started a cleaning business way back in the day and it became very successful and she wound up having about 50 employees and she worked in it for well over 30 years and put uh, Ed through college. And then after I quit my scholarship at UT Martin and went to Union, she put me through college. And uh, I, I think about that though. The thing that I think about is how hard it was for me as a 10th grade boy to walk into the bank downtown at five or six o'clock at night when those people were coming out and I was holding mops and vacuum cleaners and all the cleaning materials going in, I was the janitor. And uh, my daddy took care of that. My dad took care of a lot of things, I want to tell you that. And when Edgar spoke, I listened. And so he said, boy, don't you be intimidated and don't you be embarrassed. You're doing good hard work and you're probably making more than they are anyway, so don't worry about it. My dad always had a way of putting things where I could understand it, all right? And I can remember cleaning every kind of mess there is. I, I, but I, I say that simply to say God used that to help me love common people and to love humble people. And there is no one more humble than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's a servant. If you want to follow Jesus... You must become a servant to God and to everybody else around you. You can't be a big, powerful person and serve the Lord. You've got to be humble, you've got to be kind, and you've got to let other people go in front of you. And I want to say this to you. If you don't want to do that, you cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ. You can't be proud and arrogant and love Jesus Christ, the most humble person ever to be on this planet, all right? So let's talk a little bit about Jesus, God's ultimate servant. Look at Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 13. Listen to me, O islands. Pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. This is Jesus talking now. From the body of my mother, he named me. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me 
and he has also made me a select era. He has hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel. Jesus was what God wanted Israel to be. And here he refers to himself as Israel. In whom I will show my glory. But I said, I have toiled in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and my reward with my God. How many of you know that God is your reward and he will give you your reward? Amen. That's what Jesus was saying there. And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant. To bring Jacob, that is the people of God, back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations. Now what you have here, I can't not say it right here. You have God saying, I'm going to love the nation of Israel, but I'm also going to love all the Gentiles too. And Gentiles will come to Christ. That's what he's saying. And you know what? How many of you Gentiles we got here today? I got my hand up, all right? If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, okay? And he said, I'm going to bring the gospel to them so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, talking about Jesus, kings will see and rise. Princes will also bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a favorable time I have answered you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. And I will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people to restore the land, to make them inherit the desolate heritages, saying to those who are bound, go forth, and to those who are in darkness, show yourselves along the roads they will feed, and their pasture will be on all bare heights. They will not hunger or thirst, nor will the scorching heat or sun strike them down. For he who has compassion on them will lead them and will guide them to springs of water. I will make all my mountains a road and my highways will be raised up. Behold, these will come from afar and lo, these will come from the north and from the west and these will come from the land of Sinem. Shout for joy, O heavens. O rejoice, O earth, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the Old Testament prophet understood it correctly, and he prophesied and predicted that Christ would come not as a king, but as God's ultimate servant. And if you want to follow Jesus, you need to be a servant too. And so do I. Jesus, God's ultimate servant. First of all, God's ultimate servant, Jesus, was a called servant. You need to be a called servant like Jesus. Look at verse 1. That's what Jesus is calling to you, to service. Listen to me, O islands. Pay attention, you people from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named me. Now, 
from this text on for several chapters, we're focusing on the Messiah. And Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, spoke prophetically and plainly about his special, unique birth. Look at me. Nobody was ever born like Jesus. He was born the sinless Son of God because he was born of a woman who had never been with a man. She was a virgin. And because of that, he did not have, he did not receive a sinful nature at conception. You and I have a sinful nature. You said, when did I get that? The moment you were conceived in your mother's womb. But not Jesus. Jesus was born without a sinful nature. He says in verse 1, he's talking, is addressing all the people on the islands. These are people far away, all the people from afar. He said, the Lord has called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me. At conception, Jesus was the Messiah in Mary's womb. He said, from the body of my mother, the Lord named me. He was named by the Father before he was even conceived. We read in Luke, when Gabriel came to Mary, the angel said to her, don't be afraid. You know, that's what you have to say if you're an angel because when you show up, you scare everybody to death because of the reflected glory of God. He said, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have, been found, you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great He'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. People that get saved here today are continuing to enter into the kingdom, and people are doing that all over the world today on the Lord's Day, and hopefully on every other day as well. God sent his son Jesus to be his special servant. He didn't send him to be a king. If he had, he would have been given to a king and a queen to be his parents. But no, he came to humble as a humble servant and he was given to humble people. The father called his son to be a servant. And that was a hard concept and it still is for the Jewish people. They don't believe in Jesus, many of them, because of how humble he was. They wanted a Messiah who would be a king, who would deliver them politically in every other way. One day, James and his brother John, John who wrote the Gospel of John, asked Jesus to do something for them. Now, this is right before he was going to the cross. Think about the setting. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say to Jesus if he asked you that? He gave them basically, what do you want me to do for you? Well, they made a bad choice. They said, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left when you enter into glory. Lord, when you get to your throne, we want to be the most powerful people next to you. Jesus didn't like that. Jesus rebuked them and said, I deny your request. Did you know that God is not obligated to say yes to your prayers. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, you better be grateful because some of the things we ask for are not the best things for us or for anybody else. Sure not for the glory of God. He didn't want them seeking great things for themselves. 
He wanted them to be like him, to be a servant, a called servant. Jesus said in Mark 10, 42 and following, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. That's the way the world operates. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you, talking about Christians, shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom Jesus said, I've got a different kind of kingdom. In my kingdom, we don't put ourselves above people. We put ourselves beneath people and we serve them. We turn everything upside down. We're not trying to be big shots. We're just trying to be humble, kind, Christ-like people. It's a kingdom. We're called into it. And the highest position is to be a servant. Jesus was not saying you can't enjoy life. Jesus enjoyed life. Jesus laughed. Jesus, I think, enjoyed life more than anyone else who has ever lived. He would pull away. He knew when it was time to rest. He knew when it was time to work. He knew when it was time just to get away with his disciples. He knew what it was like just to get alone with God and pray. But he does mean that you cannot be selfish and serve the Lord. You can't be self-centered and be a good follower of Jesus Christ. You just can't do it. Every follower is called to service. God's ultimate servant, Jesus, was a called servant. Secondly, Jesus, God's ultimate servant, was a proclaiming servant. I can remember hearing an old preacher say, God had one son and he made him a preacher. He made him a proclaimer of the truth of God. Look at verse 2 in Isaiah 49. He has made my mouth, the Messiah says, like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. He has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. I love that verse. I pray that verse often. Jesus came to this earth proclaiming the message of the gospel. And that gospel message is like a sharp sword. It cuts into our hearts. It cuts beyond all of our defenses, and it pierces our heart like an arrow. When he preached, people were cut to their souls. They were convicted of their sins, and they knew all of a sudden that they needed a Savior. They were repenting of their sins. They either had to repent or they had to reject and say no to the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 2 says that in the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. That refers to the first 30 years of Jesus' life. Jesus did not preach anything until he was 30 years old. And all of that time, God was just concealing him. He was hidden in the quiver of 
God. He was God's select era, but he was humble enough just to remain for 30 years as a carpenter. And he loved his father, and he loved his mother, and he loved his family, and he helped provide for them. But then Jesus said, okay, now's the time. He went, he was baptized by John the Baptist. The Spirit of God came down upon him. He went for 40 days into the wilderness. He fasted and he prayed. And I've been in that wilderness before where he was literally physically standing where he was when he was praying and he was out there. And then the devil came and tempted him in three different ways. And Jesus had victory over the devil and he came out with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And he came out as a servant of Almighty God. And we read about it in Matthew 4, 17 and following. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets. They followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brothers. These are the people I was talking about a while ago in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them immediately. They left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of diseases, disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, that means 10 cities, and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. God had one son and he made him a proclaiming servant. And when Jesus preached the word of God, lost people got saved. I loved it a while ago when they were talking about they got saved during the sermon at Easter or they got saved during the service over here or whatever. Listen, when the word of God goes forth, salvation comes out and God pours out salvation on people. Demonized people get set free when Jesus and others are a proclaiming servant. Weary people were refreshed. Sick people were healed. Depressed people were encouraged. Broken people were restored. Sinners were forgiven. Blind eyes could see. Deaf ears could hear. Lame legs could walk again. Selfish people were givers again. And dead people walked out of graves when Jesus Christ preached the word of God. No wonder, no wonder. They, the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders sent some officers to arrest Jesus. And when he started talking, they just dropped their chains and couldn't arrest him. They came back and they said, why didn't you rest, arrest him? And they said, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Nobody talks like this guy. Nobody lives like this guy. And when Jesus looked at his disciples one day and some of the disciples had left, not the 12, but others, he looked at his 12 and said, do you want to go too? I think he was saying, if you do, I'll just start over. I, I'm here for a while. If you don't want to follow me, I'll get some people that do. I love what John or what Peter said. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
Oh, brothers and sisters, nobody has ever spoken like Jesus. Jesus is God's ultimate servant. He was a proclaiming servant. I want to say this to you. Please look at me. It's not good enough just to come to church. It's not good enough to do a little work around the church. You need to be telling people about Jesus Christ. If you're going to be Christ-like, you need to be a proclaiming Christian and loving people and telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, Jesus, God's ultimate servant, was a humble servant. You know, humility comes from the Lord. Look at verse 3. He said to me, you are my servant Israel. The Father called Jesus the perfect Israel in whom I will show my glory. But I said, I've told in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and my reward is with my God. He said to me, God the Father is speaking to Jesus here. You're my servant, Israel. Jesus was the child that God always wanted Israel to be. Jesus was the obedient Israel. Jesus was the Christ-like Israel. He was not stubborn. He was not rebellious like Israel was. He was humble. He was obedient. But when Christ humbled himself, he was God's son in whom he would show forth his glory. The night he was rest, arrested, Jesus exemplified his humility. He did something that if you've never done it, I would recommend to you to do it at the Lord's prompting. John 13 says, then he poured water into the basin. Now Jesus is about to go to the cross. Think about the setting. He's about to be brutally killed and bear the sins of mankind. But he had the presence of mind as a servant to be a humble servant. He poured water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, Peter's talking to Jesus, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do to you, you don't realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said, well, if that's the case, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head. You know, G Peter was all in or all out, wasn't he? You never had to worry. <laughs> he, he, he didn't mess around in the middle, did he? He stayed on the edge all the time. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is 
sent, greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. A slave is not greater than his master. If I can wash people's feet, you can wash people's feet. If I can be a servant, you can be a servant. If I cannot be a big shot, you cannot be a big shot. If I can be humble, you can be humble. Jesus is teaching us not to think that we're the smartest, not to think that we've got it all together. You know, I've seen some Christians so proud they could strut sitting down, amen? I mean, they're just so proud of themselves. Oh, I've got such knowledge, and I don't have to come under authority. I, I, I know what's better even than those people up there. Oh, yeah, they're probably just a bunch of hypocrites anyway. You got that attitude? You are not following Jesus the way you should. You need to get some humility in you if that's the way you're living. You need to say, you know what? I need a teachable spirit. I need to have a humble spirit. I don't need to be a big shot. I don't have to always be right. We already know you're not right. It'd be good if you found out too. You're not always right. Seldom right, but never in doubt. <laughs> Think about that one. Have you ever washed somebody's feet? I would encourage you to do it. I would encourage you husbands to wash your wife's feet. I'm talking about literally wash her feet. I would encourage you wives to wash your husband's feet. And I would encourage you children to wash your parents' feet. I would encourage you to do that. You say, Brother Steve, we, we're not feet washers. Oh, yes, we are. Oh, yes, we are. It just means to be humble. And I promise you, if you'll do it, if you'll do it, if you'll even do that very thing, you'll find out it's really hard to be arrogant and cocky while you're washing somebody's feet. Jesus washed feet to show us that we're just a bunch of servants. We need to be humble and not arrogant. And then number four, Jesus, God's ultimate servant, was a universal servant. He was a servant for everyone. Anyone can be saved because of Jesus. Look at verse 5. Jesus brings salvation to all the Jews. Look at verse 5. Now, God, and now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob, that is Israel, back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength. You know, the, the, the truly orthodox Jews are still looking for the Messiah to come. The problem is he's already showed up. They need to look to Jesus. He is their Messiah. He is the Messiah who will save any Jewish person. I've met Jewish people who have come to Jesus as Lord and Savior and received Him as their Messiah. And at the end of time, you'll see more of that. More and more Jews will come and they'll understand that Jesus really is the Messiah. But it's not just for the Jewish people. You know, the Jewish people said, we're the only ones that can be God's people. But God says, no. I love those Gentiles 
those non-Jewish people, just as, I'm, as much as I love you, nation of Israel. Verse 6, God says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations. Now, when you see the word nations there, that means the Gentiles. I will also make you a light of the nations, of the Gentiles, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Look at me. Jesus didn't come just to die on a cross for some people. Jesus came to die on a cross for all people. That's why I cannot be a full-bred Calvinist. I can't do it because they believe Jesus died for the elect. I believe Jesus died for the elect and the non-elect. I believe Jesus died for everybody. I believe God loves everybody. I believe Jesus died for everybody, and I believe that anybody can be saved. I don't believe God just said, you, 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 you can be saved. I believe he said, come unto me all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus Christ wants to save you today. He wants to save you. Many churches in Memphis have mostly certain people. You ever thought about how non-diverse the church is in America? Can I meddle just a little bit? Many churches today are not like the church that God wants us to have in that not everybody is represented in their flock. Many churches in Memphis have mostly, if not exclusively, black attenders. Many churches in Memphis have mostly, if not exclusively, white attenders. Many churches in Memphis have mostly, if not exclusively, Asian attenders. Many churches in Memphis have mostly, if not exclusively, Latino attenders. I want to ask you a question. Shouldn't a church look like heaven? Shouldn't a church be an outpost on earth of heaven? If you're white, don't talk about racial reconciliation if your church has no blacks, no Asians, and no Latinos. And if you're black, don't you dare talk about racial reconciliation if your church has no whites, no Asians, no Latinos. And if you're Asian, don't you dare talk about racial reconciliation if your church has no whites, no blacks, no Latinos. And if you're a Latino, don't you dare talk about racial reconciliation if your church has no whites, no blacks, or Asians. I want to say this to you. It's a hard thing to say, but it's true. There are very few churches in Memphis that really look like heaven. Can we just stop and pray about that just for a second? Father, I pray that you would break the racial barrier, bind the demonic spirits that would keep us apart. I pray, dear God, that we won't have white churches and black churches and Latino churches and Asian churches. I pray that we'll have Jesus churches, dear God, where everybody is welcome and everybody and anybody can serve the Lord Jesus Christ. 
in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that, say amen. amen. Aren't you glad that anybody can be saved? Amen. Amen. He says, well, I don't like that. Well, then don't go to heaven. I didn't tell you where to go. I said, don't go to heaven. Here's what heaven's like. Revelation chapter 7, 9 and 10. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation. Everybody say every nation. Every nation. Every nation. All tribes. Everybody say all tribes. Peoples and tongues, say that out loud, peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Say that with me out loud. Let's shout it. Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You ought to say that at least once a day so you'll know how to talk in heaven <laughs> because that's what they say in heaven. You might be, you say, you, you won't go there and say, I, I'm looking for the white group. There's not one. I'm looking for the black group. There's not one. I'm looking for the Latinos. No, it's everybody together worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's give God praise for that. Amen. <laughs> praise God that Jesus is the universal servant. And then finally, Jesus, God's, I shouldn't have said finally because you're going to write this down and check out. Oh, it's too late now. I'll never do that again. <laughs> I see you getting ready. All right. Write this down. He's a saving servant. How many of you are glad that Jesus is a saving servant? Amen. Now look at the last few verses, verses 7 and following. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and its holy one, to the despised one, that's Jesus, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see and arise. Princes will also bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, in a favorable time I have answered you. And in a day of salvation I have helped you. And I will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people to restore the land, to make them inherit the desolate heritages. Saying to those who were bound, go forth. To those who were in darkness, show yourselves. How many of you have ever been bound in sin? How many of you have ever been in darkness of sin? And he said, come out, be free, show yourself. That's what he's talking about. Along the roads they will feed and their pasture will be on all bare heights. They will not hunger, they will not thirst, nor will the scorching heat or sun strike them down. For he who has compassion on them will lead them and will guide them to springs of water. I will make all my mountains a road and my highways will be raised up. Behold, these will come from afar. Lo, these will come from the north and from the west and from the land of Sinem. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on all his afflicted. Oh, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
He is a saving servant. Whenever I drive up to Union City or any place in that area, I try to go by a little place just north of Sharon, Tennessee. I drive across the railroad tracks and I pull up to a little church that's not any bigger than the size of this seating area right here. It takes me back to a night in February of 1976 when I was tired of being tired, sick of being sick, tired of sin, 18 years old, freshman in college. And the gospel was preached that I was a sinner, but Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead to give me eternal life. And if I would repent of my sins and believe in him and receive him as my Lord and Savior, he would change my life. And I was there with my buddies I played football with in the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I was the only one who went forward. I said, Brother Bill, he said, what do you want, Steve? He knew me because his son played pro football. He'd come watch us practice football over at UT Martin. I said, Brother Bill, I want what those guys have. He said, they have Jesus. I said, I want Jesus. And he led me to faith in Christ. I'm going to find out when I get to heaven if I got saved when I was a boy when I was seven if I got saved when I was a young man at the age of 18, I know one thing, I am saved. And I can tell you this, it's all because of Jesus, the servant of God, who did not love his life, but he laid out his life on a cross so the little knuckle-headed boy like me could get saved and his life be changed. I never dreamed about preaching. I never thought about being at a Bellevue or a Gardendale or any other place. I just wanted the Lord to change my life. I was tired of the way I was living. I knew it was going to lead to bad things. And by the grace of God, He saved me. And you know what? He can save you today.